I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Hello. I hope you had a chance to join us for Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month in January. I'd love to know how you experienced it. Send me an email at tearsofeden.org at gmail.com just to let me know what you thought of it and if there are any episodes you're looking forward to hearing in the future. Just because it is no longer January does not mean that we will not continue to discuss spiritual abuse and religious trauma. One of the things that we hope to do with the Uncertain Podcast is to give survivors of spiritual abuse language to name their experience and provide validation that what you went through is real and you're not alone in that. One subject in the religious trauma category that I do not hear talked about very often is the trauma from the damaging messaging about marriage that results for single people. I don't know that I've heard that ever talked about, ever. So at the Broken to Beloved Summit in January for Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month, Brian Lee interviewed me on that very subject, the stigmatization of single people. So you're going to hear that talk right now. The damaging teaching on marriage that happens in the church doesn't just damage single people and cause trauma for single people. It really impacts everyone, as you will hear in this episode. At the very end of the episode, I'm going to add something that I think is really important for both marrieds and singles to keep in mind. So hang out at the end of the episode for that little addition. And here is my interview with Brian Lee. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our session. I'm here with Catherine Spearing. Catherine is the founder of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse and the host of Tears affiliate podcast, Uncertain. She also hosts the podcast, Trauma and Pop Culture, and is a certified trauma recovery coach, working primarily with clients who have survived cults, high control environments, spiritual abuse, and sexual abuse. She also provides specialized trauma-informed career coaching, as folks with trauma often need extra support for interviewing and networking, which I can attest to. Catherine is the author of a historical romantic comedy, which we talked about last year, Hartford's, a novel that challenges gender roles in a patriarchal society that will appeal to fans of Jane Austen. And she's been a guest on a number of podcasts, including Indoctrination and That's So Effed Up. She's the author of several nonfiction articles and writes regularly at katherinespearing.com and tearsofeden.org. Welcome. Welcome back. (laughs) Very excited. excited. Me too. So we're here to talk today about being single within the context of faith communities, which is a big, I don't know anywhere else that I really hear about this talked about. So I'm excited to to dive into it. What is it like for a single person within these communities? Right. Yeah. And I think on the subject of it not being talked about very much, I definitely looked, obviously, that's who I am. So I have looked for books on this particular topic and, and they all tend to have this like, this like consolation prize flair to it. Like Mm. you're single, but you didn't want this. So here's some tips for being happy despite the situation that you Mm -hmm. find yourself in as if it's like, so, so sad. (laughs) And so haven't, haven't read a lot where I was just like, oh, like I'm empowered, I'm inspired, I'm encouraged very, very rarely. And then also just within this topic that I'm very, I'm very passionate about just living a thriving life wherever you are and being very present wherever you are, no matter 
single or not. And I think one of the things that I have discovered through just the work that I do with religious trauma and spiritual abuse survivors is that to say, hey, like it's, you know, really important to live a thriving life here. Here are tools to live a thriving life to then ignore the the systemic issues that then make it difficult to have a thriving life. It's kind of, it's just half of the story. And so there's a lot of messaging towards singles of just like be content and be happy within faith communities without acknowledging the things that then make it difficult to be happy. And one example is I learned very, very young that it was okay for me to be single, but it was okay for me to be single only if I was unhappy about being single. And Mm. only if I was actively seeking to change that status and at the same time, be happy being single. And so rejoice in this lot that God has given you, but then also actively seek to change it and actively date and actively ask for prayer for your future husband. So this very, very stark cognitive dissonance happening within these communities I also, my my vocation was ministry and the perspective that I'm coming from for this conversation is that even growing up in the evangelical church and being in that evangelical perspective, also choosing a vocation of ministry and, and being in that for almost a decade. And, and so I, I think I experienced some of this a little bit more acutely because I was in ministry and and happened to be in denominations that were just much more male friendly. And so having being a woman and then also being a single woman, some of the stuff I experienced a little bit more acutely. So that's that's the example that I'm, the perspective that I'm coming from. And and then we'll occasionally use just some stories and examples from clients and and friends of mine who've also experienced this as well. And but yeah, so first of full-time vocational ministry experience was on the mission field in Mexico. I'm 28 years old. I am the only single woman on this fairly large missions team. I went down to help plant a church. That was like my specific reason for going. And the there was a headquarters office that I went to every day as part of my work and, and and pretty much right away things like they would have a team meeting for mm-hmm. the church plant and I was not invited. Huh. And I I I was actively a part of the missions team and would like go to the office and work in the mission field. All the other women missionaries were worked at home and were you know, took care of their children and took care of their homes. They were not actively coming into the offices. They were invited to this missions team. And so right off the bat, I was like, (laughs) Um, different here. Exactly. (laughs) Just instantly. And in Mexico, the, the, that's hierarchy of, of marriage and marital status is even more extreme, I would say, than, than in, the like the south which is also pretty extreme and and yet nobody was like hmm it's weird that you're not there 
there was like, there was no, and I, I decided not to make an issue about it, that particular thing, but I was still expected to show up, you know, to church an hour early and help set up and put the coffee on. So I was still a part of this team and help lead the Bible studies and all that sort of stuff, but not part of the planning, not offered a seat at the table. And, and it wasn't a gender thing. It was the only thing I can think of. <laughs> a singleness thing. <laughs> is I'm not married. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I think that, that that was something that I experienced constantly throughout my faith community experience was like we, not a, there's something wrong with you so much, but as a, but a, we don't know what to do with you. Like mm. we don't know what category to put you in. Another example was I was volunteering very actively. This is before I went to Mexico in the youth ministry. And I was very, very actively involved in the youth ministry. Again, late, late 20s, considering youth ministry as a potential avenue for ministry if I did go into full-time ministry. And the church that I attended did not have like singles groups and young marrieds and uh, it, it was just kind of all adult classes and they were topical, which I think is great. And there was a parenting class and I thought I'm going to work. I'm working with youth. 50% of that is working with parents. And it, and then it was targeting like young marrieds who are my peers. Like some of them are the same age as me. Some of mm -hmm. them are a little bit older. Some of them are a little younger. And so it made perfect sense to me that I would go to this class, which I did. And eight week class, I had friends who were leading this class, a married couple that was leading the, leading the class. And so I knew them. And then there was an older couple in the class who had already raised their children. And they were there because they wanted to connect to younger families. And they were the only people that talked to me. Oh, man. <laughs> Nobody else talked to me. And it was so obvious that as soon as there would be like a break or the class would end, they would like huddle like so fast. It was like, huh. like very, very quickly, just, just like, ah, <laughs> we don't, <laughs> don't leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. With that one, we don't, we don't, we don't know. know what to do with her. <laughs> we don't know what to do with her. And so all, always feeling that experience and, and many years later, I worked in California, which is a very different culture. And, and I had a very good experience as a single person in California. And I started to wonder after a few years being there, did I make that up? Was that, mm. was that my imagination? Like, like, maybe it wasn't as bad. Maybe it was my insecurity. Like, maybe, you know, I, I felt weird. And so that's why I thought these people were ignoring me or whatever. And then I was in, in LA during the biggest part of COVID. So didn't really interact with many people and thought, oh, maybe I just made it up. Maybe if I go into the spaces and I'm just like super confident, like they'll be fine. <laughs> you know? Maybe it's not as bad as I thought. And, and yet, even now when I go into certain communities and I would say probably the biggest one right now is, is extended family that is in the South. And it is uh, a much more just like 
nuclear family focused everything is focused on that and you get married and you have kids and then you raise the kids and they go to college and then they get married and they have kids and then they raise their kids and their kids go to college and then they get married and they have kids and that's just a cycle and rinse and repeat and i would go go to go to events go to weddings go to funerals be around this this community of people and it, i was like it's still here <laughs> it's it's still real and and after like three hours of talking about feeding schedules and potty training, I'm sitting there like, okay, I have a pretty cool life. <laughs> I have a lot of cities. I started this nonprofit. I have a book out. I have a podcast. Like, I'm a pretty interesting person. No questions. Wow. Zero interest in my life outside of how much I can engage with their life. Right. And so it's very, it was very, it's very, very obvious in those, in certain contexts that there's this otherness and this marginalization yeah. and this like, you're different. And rather in engaging with that difference, we're just going to draw distance. And yeah. at best, you're ignored. At worst, they're actively trying to get you to change who you are and change your marital status and yeah. try to figure out what's wrong with you that you're not married. Right. That is how, that is how. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing all that. And I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. And that's not at all alienating, right? Not at all. <laughs> My goodness. Well, and I remember working at a church as a young single man and I was the worship leader at the time, but it was just, it is a lot of that alienating feeling of, well, who can we hook you up with? When are you going to get married? Let's pray for your future wife and all these things. It's like, and there was a big part of me that wanted to get married, but there was exactly. also a big part of me. It's like, but this is kind of, I'm fine with this right now. Right. This is the right. season of life I'm in. And why is there always this need to rush mm -hmm. people through these stages of life that may not be for them at all? Mm -hmm. Because even once you're married, then it's the whole train of, oh, well, when are you going to have kids? And then once you have kids, oh, when are you going to have another one? And then it's like <laughs> some people are just never satisfied, right? Constantly. There's this there's this weird hierarchy of having arrived as a human. And it's I can't even imagine because I'm not one, but I it's so much worse for women because not only do you have to get married, but then once you are someday a wife, if you don't become a mother, then you're not really a whole woman. And all these other things that I've heard that are just so harmful in these faith communities. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and, and then the difference, there is a different flavor, but I think between like a, a, a male experience and a female experience and I remember going to seminary and and the church planting. There's like a church planting portion of the seminary that I went to. And I love church planting and I thought it was really cool. Well, I was told, you know, you'd be a really good church planter if you were a man. Uh, mm. uh, the men were told, don't church plant unless you're married. Like, don't do that. Like, that's I would not advise doing that. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't do it unless you're yeah. bound to another person or yeah. you have a a wife to do 50% of your free labor. So the pressure, like you're not fully incubated yet. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike, you know, Paul or Jesus or. <laughs> you may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. 
This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. You know, for all this stuff that's going on in the churches, in different faith communities, why does this stuff happening matter? I think the biggest reason why it matters is it can result in very real trauma to to constantly feel like you don't fit and constantly feel like you are not enough Mm. all by yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that can result in, you know, when you're, you know, supposed to trying to embrace your life and, and be confident and be secure and, and love who you are, where you are. And then you're surrounded by people who are looking at you like you're really strange or just like, saying things like, well, do you even want to get married or accusing you of being too picky or, or constantly receiving this message of you're not fully, you haven't fully arrived yet. You're not a full complete human. And, and then as you mentioned, I think that this can have just like implications for just like the wider community as well of, of people getting married when they're not ready to get married and I, it happens. I am so grateful and honored that enough people have shared with me that they got married too soon. Mm -hmm. And enough people have shared with me that the reason they got married was because they were dating someone who wanted to marry them and they were afraid someone else wasn't going to come along. And so they locked it down. And, and enough people who have admitted that, which means there's probably a lot of more people who have never admitted that because of how much pressure there is. Like a man saying, Hey, you can't plan a church unless you're married. Okay. Let me just find someone to marry me. Oh, maybe in an ideal world that would never happen. Well, it, it does happen. And, and there is so much pressure to and people end up in these relationships that are not necessarily healthy because they haven't had a chance to differentiate and yeah. and the messaging around marriage and the nuclear family can lead to a lot of enmeshment in marriage mm-hmm. and and people who aren't able to to create individual identities because they're so wrapped up in in that and that partnership for women results in a lot of them just surrendering their power and surrendering their agency the minute that they're in that relationship. And, and I have friends now who are in their forties and fifties who are learning about their themselves and their identity as an individual for the very first time, because they just got married so young, they never had an opportunity to figure out, who they were and what they really liked. And <laughs> I have friends who have told me, and this makes me very sad, that their predominant emotion once they got married wasn't joy and wasn't excitement. It was relief. That makes me so sad that it's like, oh, it's over. 
Yeah. <laughs> like so, so sad and speaks so loudly of the amount of pressure and the and the miseries to some extent of yeah. being single in these faith communities that isn't self-inflicted a lot of times. Yeah. Some, some parts of it, sure, but but a lot of it is is the community itself of not not having, and I have a dozen stories similar to the Mexico story of just like not having a seat at the table simply because, well, part of it's gender and part of it was marital status and yeah. and and not being treated as if I didn't have anything to offer because yeah. because I wasn't married. And if you are in those communities all the time, you have no other reference, you'll start to believe it. It's really hard to not believe when you're getting that inundated with that messaging that there's something yeah. wrong with me yeah. and I don't have anything to offer. Why Why would I want to be at the church planting meeting? I, I'm not married. I right. don't have anything to offer. That that type of experience. And it's very, it doesn't just impact single people. I believe very firmly that this this mentality impacts the wider faith community as well. And as you mentioned, just like, you know, you get married and then it's like when you're going to have kids and the same thing for child-free people, like you're allowed to be child-free, but only if you're actively seeking to change it. Right. <laughs> Yet also be content with your child-freeness, yeah. but yeah. also be trying to change it. And then my sister, first baby, baby wasn't even barely out of the womb. And people are asking her when her second child is yeah. coming. When's the next one? When's like, the next one? Yeah, it's like never enough. This never enough, never enough, never enough. Yeah, uh, man. Experience. It, it just speaks to how broken these systems are and how flawed the theology is of identity, of wholeness, like you're talking about, of, of, like you're saying, the whole individuation and differentiation piece. It's like, uh, you know, you tell your that story about all the things about Mexico and all these other places. And it's like, and, the, you know, joining these different small groups or Sunday school classes. And uh, I think of that quote from Walt Whitman or Ted Lasso or whoever you want to say it's from about <laughs> being curious, not judgmental, yeah. right? And so often people in these faith communities default to a position of judgment mm -hmm. or assumption, mm -hmm. right? Oh, this poor single person, they must be miserable. Let's adopt mm -hmm. them and then try to find every eligible whatever mm -hmm. to pair them parade up with. Them, parade them across. Yeah. Well, and then by doing that, you turn them into a thing instead of a person, right? Because they become, your, you become their project, which never feels good. Never. And then you, you add on the layer of, what harm purity culture has done to the church through the eighties and nineties. And all these people, like you're saying, get married young out of a sense of relief to escape the trap of singleness. Mm -hmm. And then, or they just get married so they can have finally have sex, which is awful because they've known nothing about it and weren't ready for it. Right. And then, you know, in the eighties and nineties, there was so much vitriol and defense against divorce. Yep. And nowadays, Christians are the exact same statistic as everyone else. So, so common. Yeah. And I mean, and that is one of the ways that it impacts wider community as well is because there are so many divorced people, widowed people, they're single and, mm -hmm. and they're back in that, you know, phase after being married 
And it's again, like, what do we do with you? Yeah. Like, let's find you someone else to marry. <laughs> like the same, yeah. like, the cycle starts again. And, and it's not, it's not that it's not a guaranteed that marriage A will happen or B will last. And, yeah. and, and that, and that ability, as you said, to have that curiosity, a kind curiosity, not a what's wrong with you, but a tell me about your life. Tell mm -hmm. me how you feel about this and, and giving, giving that space for people to be different and willingness and that judgment tends to come from a place of fear. We, we fear the thing we don't understand. Yeah. And if someone gets married at 22 and has never known a life of singleness, they're not going to know what it's like. And mm -hmm. so it's going to be very different. It's going to be an anomaly. And, and it's so much, it's easier to just not engage. And, like, and, and it's safer to not engage to some yeah. extent of just, you know, I'll let her talk to her people <laughs> and I'll talk to my people. And, yeah. and it's very sad to me because it's a very, it can be very isolating, I think. For and, sure. and very, uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah. Just like, just very kind of, kind of stagnant and, and oppressive to to surround ourselves with people who are just like us and in the same stage as us and can talk about all of the things that we talk about and and there it's i think that it's challenging to grow when when yeah. you are surrounded by people who are just like you doing yeah. all of the things that you do and and how much more vibrant and colorful life is when we can engage with people who are different than us and yes. single people are forced to do that because we're often alone <laughs> or marginalized in these communities. And so we're constantly seeing things from the perspective of the married person, the people with the family, we're able to engage in those conversations about feedings and, and potty training because everyone's doing it. <laughs> and, and, and it does take a little more effort from that parent who has, you know, young kids to lift their head up from, from that world and, and look around and see there are other people out there and there are other, yeah. there are other stories in the world. And I, I mean, I was raised in a very fundamentalist world that was very isolating and very much like feared the outside world and feared people who were different than us and didn't believe the same things that we believed. So it was not because of nurture, unless it was rebellion, potentially, that I love encountering people who are different than me. Like I love mm -hmm. encountering different cultures. I love encountering people who have you know, jobs that I've never had, different, different lifestyles, different cities, country, like I just, I love engaging with people who are different. And I, I find it to be such a fulfilling experience to yeah. have so many people that are so different from me in my life. It's amazing. And 
I'm sad for extended family and in the South who cannot engage with conversation outside of their bubble. That makes me sad, you know, personally, but then also just like, you don't get to know me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you know, we, we create these microcosms Mm -hmm. of these echo chambers where this tiny little community's behaviors become normalized. And then you view everyone else, like you're saying, as the outsider, as the other. And you're like, well, that's weird. When really it's like, actually, it's your little group that you can't see outside of, right? So so how do we break out of that? Like, what can, what can be done? Interested in listening to more than 40 archived Uncertain Podcast episodes? All you have to do is sign up to become a monthly supporter of $5 or more. Becoming a monthly supporter will give you access to popular episodes such as Confessions of a Christian Parent and When Bad People Do Good Things. You'll also get access to this episode without any interruptions from yours truly. Become a monthly supporter today by going to tearsofedian.org slash support. So how do we break out of that? Like what can, what can be done? Right. Well, I would say just speaking to two different audiences and I would say for, I mean, I mean, really for anyone, but for a single person, I would say, and I've had to do this, actively surround yourself with people who are for you Mm, and not for you, but they would prefer (laughs) that something about you change, specifically your marital status. And, and, and they're not constantly trying to set you up or find someone for you there's nothing wrong with that and i i mean and setups happen within the single community too like i a friend of mine the other day like showed me two people in a dating app who are in my community and and i just you know gave her my opinion like this person they are great but i really don't think that you would enjoy them but this person the little that i know about them i think that it could be a good fit and we're not like meat market hoarding all the single people (laughs) like like i know these two people aren't a good fit for me they might be a good fit i've you know connect friends in other cities like hey so-and-so lives in your city y'all should get coffee well Um, and i imagine the big difference is that it's invited absolutely right instead of imposed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes she showed me the people on her dating app i'm like asked my opinion. 100%. The, the invitation has been given. And it also, within the context of actually knowing the person, not just, hey, this person is single, yes, this person is that's single, once you get together, yeah. like you actually know what would be good for them. And, and so surrounding yourself with people who are championing you, excited for you, excited for your life. And I I have actively had to do that and have mm-hmm. actively had to to seek out people and, and fill my life with people who are on my team and cheering me on. And there are some people in my life who still find it a little strange, you know, my marital status, but they're they they have kind of moved to being more of a, an acquaintance simply because of 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 that particular part of it is that it's not I'm not fully accepted in their eyes and they're mm. they're not fully able to engage with my life right now uh, and so that might happen and it's challenging but it's also absolutely 100% worth it to be surrounded by people who are for you. Yeah, and totally. 
And then for just like the wider community, I think just cultivating, as you have already stated, curiosity and a interest in people who are different. And that will serve across the board for any marginalized community of just being willing to engage and ask questions and not treat like a project as you as you mentioned as someone that I need to fix yeah. or my token single friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay, I have one. Um, well, another and- thought I just had is like, or what I often see in churches or faith communities is that the single people get treated as free labor. Because they're single. So you must have all the free time in the world to go volunteer for this thing or take care of this thing. And it's like, can we also stop doing that, please? Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mention this at the top of the conversation, but in that same church planting experience in Mexico, usually when you start a church, first thing you need is a pastor. And then the next thing you need is a worship leader. And then the next thing you need is a children's minister. And I saw it coming. I saw it coming. <laughs> and I was like, no. Uh-huh. I was like, I drew, I was like, I don't care if I get fired. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will not be in charge yep. of children's Well, and I've heard horror stories from missionaries on the field who, for their team meetings or staff meetings, same kind of a thing for the single people who were there as part of the team, fully part of the team, mm-hmm. don't get invited to the meetings because they are expected to stay behind and babysit for all the married couples' kids. <laughs> and it's like, what, you know, what is that? Which is what I did during the team meeting. <laughs> What is that? Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and you know, you're a trauma recovery coach and I don't think either of us are actually therapists or counselors, but you know, when I think of not just trauma, but complex trauma, like the CPTSD part, it's, it's when these little traumas are drip by drip happening over and over and over again, over an extended period of time. And so it makes sense why we get indoctrinated with these ideas or why it's so hard to break out of those kinds of systems or find and surround ourselves with these people who are curious about us and for us and all those things who want a real identity mm-hmm. for our single friends mm-hmm. or single people that we don't know that we want to become friends with. And it's, it's like, I just want to know who you are. I don't care that you're single or not single or a wife or not a mother yet, or any of these things. Like it applies to pretty much every stage of life, Absolutely. if we would allow people to just be people mm-hmm. and not projects, we mm-hmm. would go a long way, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just let what, yeah. And that just simple curiosity of just letting someone be who they are and, and maybe they will share that they really do want to get married and, mm-hmm. and they are sad and, hold space for them in their sadness as you would hold space for anyone grieving Yeah, and, and not necessarily, okay, let's fix this. Let's find someone for you. Like that's grief, like any other kind of grief. Yeah. And, and let's let, let's grieve together rather than seek to find the thing that will take this pain away because it's, it's not going to take the pain away. Really. It's, there's going to be something else, you know, like we're never, we're never, and I think I learned that recently from the the speaker at the retreat con for Tears of Eden, our first in-person event. And she just, she talked about thriving and she gave us this, this grid of all these different like seasons of life and stages of life and your career and then your family and then your relationships and then your friends and then your church community and like all these different, you know, bubbles of our 
you know, acquaintances and, and spheres of our lives. And, and she was like, you're never going to be thriving in every single one. Yeah. Like, and that doesn't mean you're not thriving. Yeah. Just to have a few that are not going well does not mean you're not thriving. And it was really, really helpful because I felt like I was always searching for the state of equilibrium in which everything was going well all the right. time. We're never going to be in that place, whether we are married or single or otherwise. That and so, so being willing to hold that space for someone wherever they are in that and not try to fix it mm -hmm. just like we would for anything else and, and not treat it like it's this other thing, like we don't. <laughs> This disease to some yeah. extent. Of, yeah. Let's stay away. And yeah. Well, you know, and you briefly touched on it earlier, but the idea of singleness is not just about I've never been married before or been on a date or any of those things, but it's it's also people who have been divorced or widowed or whatever those things are. And it's like when we allow them to just be people and grieve with them in that process, mm -hmm. if they are grieving. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And then not jump to try to solve their problem of, oh, no, you're single and alone again. How do we set you up with someone else? Right. It's like, no, that's not the answer. It's like, be curious. Ask, like, have, has anyone asked what they actually want mm -hmm. or are looking for? Or are they perfectly happy being single? Mm -hmm. Or is it a married couple completely happy never having kids yes. or whatever the situation is? Right. And I think there's so much that can be said for meeting people where they are and on allowing them to be where they are in the season that they're in. Yeah. And then I think just to kind of wrap it up of in order to be willing to accept someone where we are, we, I think we have to acknowledge some of that theology that has been ingrained into us mm -hmm. that dictates this mentality that marriage is more ideal than singleness and parenthood is more ideal than being child free mm -hmm. and and the people who have been told that they're selfish for not wanting children or you're not a full complete human being until you're married and joined to another person those those messages are very damaging yeah. and and that is where that trauma comes from so some of it's just cultural and like mm -hmm. just swimming in it and that's just the way it is but some of it actually comes from really damaging messaging about yeah. these things. And, 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 and that might be something that people need to wrestle with before they can even get to that place of accepting someone who's different. Because if it's like, you're not just different, there's actually something wrong with you and you're actually doing something wrong by not having kids, or you're actually doing something wrong by getting divorced mm -hmm. or, or, in, or something like that, then it's going to be hard to engage. So that might be something that folks just need to wrestle with and yeah. figure out what they believe. Yeah. That's really good. As we wrap up, you mentioned your retreat con. Would you tell us more about it? Yes. So Tears of Eden is, uh, as mentioned earlier, is a nonprofit for survivors of spiritual abuse and from folks from the evangelical community primarily. We had our first in-person event in October. And one of the things that Tears of Eden does is we do provide resources to sort of name that experience, but we do seek to be trauma-informed. And one of the things that is helpful for healing trauma is, is integration between our minds and our bodies and engaging mm -hmm. our bodies in that healing process. And so we had a speaker and she was 
a phenomenal, wonderful person. And then, and then we also had just very embodied workshops when normally you would go to, you know, maybe a small group and like sit and listen again in a workshop. All of these workshops were very active embodied workshops. We had yoga, we had improv, we had dance, we had a story jam, which is this live storytelling event. And that opportunity for people to tell stories and have an audience engage with them, just a very embodied event. And it was so cool. It was so fun. It was, I hope everyone who is a survivor gets that experience of being in person with someone who's also had that experience. There's something extremely special about just like meeting someone and knowing instantly that they get it. It's just, there's nothing like it. It's, it's really, really cool. So everyone gets to do it sometime. I love it. Congratulations on getting to do that. Yes, it was great. It was very exciting. Where can people find you or RetreatCon online? So my personal website is katherinespearing.com and my main social media presence is on Instagram at katherinespearing and Tears of Eden is tearsofeden.org. We also have a podcast and the main social media presence for Tears of Eden is the Uncertain Podcast at at Uncertain Podcast on Instagram as well. So check it out. Awesome. We'll provide the links for everyone down in the session notes. Catherine, thank you so much for participating again and helping move toward healing and wholeness. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Okay, so here is one thing that I wanted to add that I think is really important for moving forward for both married people and single people and everywhere in between. It's the idea of expanding our view of what intimacy is and what it can be. A lot of times intimacy is reduced to something that you only experience within a romantic relationship. Sometimes it's associated with sex. But intimacy can happen in so many different ways and so many different relationships. I believe that expanding our view of intimacy can mitigate and maybe even eliminate the pang of loneliness that a lot of single people experience because we have been conditioned to only experience intimacy within the context of that partnered relationship. I also think it's really important for married people to have intimate relationships outside of their marriage. A marriage where your only intimate relationship is with your partner, I would suggest is not intimacy. I would say that that is probably enmeshment, where you can't distinguish the difference between where one person's identity ends and the other person's identity begins. We talked about that a lot in this episode, that idea of differentiation, of having a strong sense of self, of who you are, what you like, how you show up in a space. That is important for every relationship. And and despite what we often hear in the church, which actually encourages enmeshed and codependent relationships, having that strong sense of self and a differentiated self is actually really healthy. And it contributes to relationships. It doesn't detract from them. So that's what I will leave you with to encourage us in this path forward, expanding our view and perspective of what intimacy is and where we can experience intimacy and also learning to grow in our sense of self and differentiation and who we are as people. 
for both married people and single people. Happy Valentine's Day. Uncertain is produced, recorded, edited, and hosted by me, Catherine Spearing. Intro music is from the band Green Ashes. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you have, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.